when I was 16, I got my driver's license. I had bought my, I already bought my first car and uh, was really excited about it. And I was remembering that day that after I got my license, it was the time I got to drive to school for the first time. I uh, jumped in my car and took off to school. And I've never been known to be an overconfident driver, but I am, I guess. And that morning I began to buzz down the road and without thinking, I changed a lane, hit somebody, hit somebody else and so forth. It was my fault and I knew it was and all of that went home and had this ticket, this thing called the ticket. And I was like, dad, I'm just gonna sign this ticket and pay, you know, pay the fine. I was at fault. My dad goes, nope, you're going to court, son. Why, dad? He goes, well, they'll bring down on the points and you might be able to not, you know, get your license taken away at some point. And I was like, well, I don't really want it. But he made me go to court. So we go to court. We're sitting there in court and everybody's going through their routines. And here is, here's these people getting up. And before the judge and judge is saying different things and sending them out of the room or vice versa. And I'm really not paying much attention to it. Next thing he calls my name and I come up there and the judge just kind of stares down like he's looking at my papers. And he looks up at me and he goes, I can't believe you're in my courtroom today. I'm like, I didn't want to come, you know? It's like, (laughs) he said, why don't you go out there and talk to the prosecutor? Being 16, I really didn't know what a prosecutor was, but I was quite sure that I may not come back alive, you know? He sends out there, so I go in this room and I'm sitting here and the prosecutor is talking to each individual and they're like, he's cutting it down. It's, it's like, just like this, going really quick, you know? So I'm not too nervous about it until I come to the prosecutor. And the prosecutor begins to t- explain to me about how many people are killed in car accidents every year. And he just started laying in, I went on about 10, 15 minutes and I'm sitting there like, oh my goodness, I'm getting more and more nervous. And finally, he came to a, to a conclusion, and he said, here's, here's the points. He sends me back into the judge, and I'm like, man, that prosecutor, that was, that was horrible. And so then I go back in, and I'm sitting there in the back waiting for to be called up to see the judge again. There's a guy that gets called up about two people before me. He had averaged two speeding tickets a year, three years in, the row, in a row, and the judge just lays into him. The judge's telling him, he's like, I mean, you can go to jail. You come back to my court, you will go to jail. And he finally gives him his fine and sends him on. And I'm thinking, well, I even remember leaning over to my dad, kind of going, well, at least I didn't do that, you know. And so I come up before the judge, and the judge looks down, and he's kind of quiet again. And he says, this case makes me so upset. I don't even want to talk to you right now. You go back to the back of the courthouse, and I'll call you into my chambers after I've seen everybody else. I remember turning around and heading back. I'm like, I'm going to jail, you know, this is it, you know. <laughs> I went and I remember sitting down <clears throat> next to my dad going, he's really mad. My dad's like, yeah, I think he is. They get, they get all done, the bailiff comes in, he calls my dad out of the room. So I'm sitting in this courtroom all by myself. A minute or two later, the bailiff comes and calls me, takes me to the judge chambers and sets me down and at the, at the chair before in front of the judge's desk. And I'm in this office for at least five, 10 minutes. And I'm just, I'm just scared to death. My dad, my dad comes in and then comes the judge and just sits down and he starts kind of 
chewing me out and telling me again about car accidents and, and speeding and all those kinds of things. And I remember I'm sitting here just saying, please don't send me to jail. And finally he says, well, I think I'll send you to a driver's school and you don't mind paying, do you? And I'm like, no, sir, I'll pay this all the way. And for sure, we left that day. It was a few years later, I heard my dad talking to somebody. You see, my dad's best friend was the chief of police. <laughs> Had no clue. I remember I got a ticket, it was a couple years later, I got a ticket, I didn't even tell my dad, I signed it, paid it, because I wasn't going back to that courtroom. <laughs> no way possible. So I share that because this morning, the text that we're looking at, we're kind of looking at a courtroom. And the picture is that God is calling out to his people. And he's using the prophet Micah. Micah was an incredible prophet. He was, his name literally means who is like Yahweh. He was, he, was a, he was poor. He was a person of the countryside. He was a spokesman for injustice. He was aware of the sufferings of the poor and how that the leaders of the nation was imposing upon them uh, laws and, and taking from them and burdening them with the injustice. And he would denounce it in, in wickedness in high places. It didn't matter who it was. He pointed out sin and its consequences. In fact, if you go back one chapter to chapter 3, verse 9 through 11, it says this, hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice, who make crooked all that is straight, who build with Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination. It's literally prophecy for money. And yet they lean on the Lord and say, is, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster will come upon us. Even their spiritual leaders had gotten to the place where they were doing things for, for price, for money, without a care for the people themselves. And yet at the same time, the way that they lived, they were believing that God would protect them. How can any harm come to us? Why would there be any harm? I mean, God is on our side. Though we live as we please and we impose upon these things upon the people of God, surely nothing's going to come upon us. And Micah is the first to actually prophesy or proclaim the destruction and the overthrow of Jerusalem, which I promise you in Jerusalem, among the Jewish people is not very popular. He emphasized that God seek love and justice. Not just, not just the actions of a sacrifice, but that the heart condition was, was as important or more important than even the, the act itself. And so what, what describes in the first five verses is God says there in verse one, he says, plead your case. That word case literally can mean lawsuit or litigation. That God is coming before them and, and, and drawn out as the mountains and the hills. Why? Because they have been there since before time. Before everything had established, they've been there from the beginning and they see what's gone on. And they're going to be our witness and they're going to bring their accusation and, and the people he expects them to respond. What have I done? He asks in verse three. How have I wearied you? 
The picture is, is that what is it that, that has brought you to this place that you would, would, would teach and, and do this for a price, you would judge for a bribe, you would do these things and yet think that I would do nothing. What have I done to you that you would come to this place? I mean, we all know what it's like to live in a world where we want our leaders to be righteous, don't we? And hardly listen to the news anymore without hearing of different things and briberies and, and money and power. And all we simply want is we just want to see righteousness. And God is demanding an answer from these people. These people who their actions have begun to overtake in the way that they led and the way that they conducted themselves among the people. And he says, hey, I want an answer. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you across the Jordan. When Balaam was, was supposed to give a curse, I turned it to blessing. I've been your protector. I've been the one who has kept you. Why have you been so wearied that you would walk away from truth? that you would walk away from these ways, that you would now seek me and expect me to provide, though you live in such a way. And, and the people answer, man, it's, a, it's amazing verses in verses six and seven there. They ask the question, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? The picture is that that God, how do I begin to reach God? God is, if he's so high and that's who he is, how do I begin to, to address him? How do I reach him? What is the proper way that I would approach him that my sins would be taken care of? They don't defend themselves, by the way. Notice this. They're not saying, hey, we have acted righteously. They haven't said, hey, look, we're doing what's right. They recognize the iniquity that they're involved in. And they're, all they're wanting to do is kind of correct these things. What is it? How do I approach this God? How do I get right with him? And they, and they come up with four offers. It's kind of interesting. Shall you become before him with burnt offerings with a calf of a year old? If you understood in the, in the sacrificial system of of Israel, a, a young calf, a calf that was a year old, was of the greatest value. So they're bringing here in the sense of, of the quality of the sacrifice. Would, God, would this make God happy? Would I come with a thousand, thousands of rams? In other words, the quantity? Let me, let me, just, let me just bring all of these rams. And then, would, that, would that allow me to begin to approach him in some way? begin to, to be able to meet this, this, this issue? Were 10,000 rivers of oil, which oil was often used, again, this is another quantity thing, was often used in sacrifices. I know a while back, this few years ago, I was thinking about, I was reading through this passage, and it's like, man, how, many, how much would that be? You know, we've gone to the store and looked at how much a gallon of, of oil, not even a gallon, it's just, it's just so incredibly expensive. And so their picture here is in their process of in how do they begin to approach God. They continue in these ideas. In fact, they get to this place. It's really kind of almost a, a peak of their zeal in some way to please God. When they, when they say in the last part of verse 7, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body? 
for the sin of my soul. I know when I read that, I was like, immediately, I was like, man, where did this come from? I mean, the pag- there was pagan religion at the time where they would take and their newborn and they would sacrifice the baby under their god, god, Moloch. Is that where they were getting this from? Was it, was there, were they thinking of Isaac and Abraham? Or was it just the zeal to whatever it takes to come somehow make God happy? And this section is really meant, in verses six and seven, is really meant to kind of contrast the external religion or actions of our external being rather than our heart. And you know what, to be honest with you, dear people, we do this all the time, don't we? We somehow get sideways, some things start going wrong in our life, and what do we do? I see it all the time. All of a sudden, we we start reading our Bible a little more. We start praying a little more. Maybe we start coming to church a little more. Maybe we start giving more. Why? Because we somehow think that what God is interested in is the external. And we never address the heart. We somehow think that if, if in our relationship with God, it's this transition, transactional thing. Like, God, if I do this, then I get this from you. That's what they were thinking. Hey, we got God in our midst. Nothing's going to happen to us. Though we go about our lives and we're, we're teaching for bribery and price and we're judging for bribery, whoever has the most to bribe us, I'll judge in their favor. And we start acting this way with God. We begin to approach God with our own way. And we say, God, you have to be happy with this. And when when he's not, we're so shocked. How many times have we heard in our own lives where where we're like, well, God, man, like I've been doing this. Why are you allowing this to happen? That's a transactional. That's a transaction between God. If I act this way, God gets this. And what God cares about is God cares about the heart. And this, act, this section is, is what he's trying to address and trying to teach us. They thought that if somehow they approached God with all of these external actions of works, that somehow everything would be okay and God would be pleased and they would be all right. And must I confess that we do that as well, don't we? How many times do we run to God when something's wrong, where we want something, and the rest of the time he's not even a part of our lives? You know, we've all had those friends. I had a friend this few years ago that, man, every time I got a phone call, every time I got, saw him, if we were in a room, you know, and I hear, Greg, you know, it's across the room. He's, I knew, well, he's won something. None of us like those kind of friends. And yet, many times in our relationship with God, that's how we act. We don't really want him in these other aspects of our lives. We only want him to, to attain certain things. Hosea 6.6 blew me away as a young man. I read it for the first time, and it, read, it reads like this, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. 
And it blew me away because I was like, well, who's the one that told them to do the burnt offerings and the sacrifices? It was God. But it wasn't just the actions that bring people in relationship with God. It's the heart. It's the knowledge of him. It's a steadfast relationship. That's why I say our faith is not a religion. Our faith is a relationship. Religion is about the external. It's about what we do or we don't do. When we're talking about our walk with God, when we're talking about following after Jesus, when we're talking about this relationship we have with him, we're talking about a day-in, day-out relationship with him. And there's times when I don't understand what he's doing, and there's times when I don't understand aspects of my walk, but I trust him and I grow in him and I learn. And just like I've been married many, many years now, there are aspects I'm still learning about the preciousness of my wife. It's a relationship. If my, wife, if, if my wife only thought that all I needed to do, if I went home and said, gee, if I just fixed the toilet, if I just painted that wall, if I just, and if that's all it was in my relationship, there would be no relationship. I'd be that friend that always, every time he wanted me, wanted something from me, I'd be hearing from him. In fact, it was Jesus in Matthew 9, 9 verse 13, who actually quoted Hosea 6, 6, when he said to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but call the sinner. See, when we start focusing on the external and how we act, then we build up a false righteousness, a self-righteousness. But when we realize that the only righteousness we have is that in Christ Jesus, it brings about a humility in our lives. So Micah, as a prophet, he responds in verse 8. Many of you probably are familiar or have heard this passage before. It's one of my favorite in Scripture. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. The word there, old man, is this idea where he's been talking to Israel as a nation when he's calling up the mountains and he's creating this, this courtroom and he's calling them in judgment. But at this point, in response to them, he's actually looking at them individually for each one is responsible for that which they've been taught. That's why he says, you have been told. He has told you, he has made it clear in fact, I believe one of those passages you might have been thinking about was in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. And it says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him? In fact, that word love, we're going to see it here again in a minute. To love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Isn't it amazing that sometimes we get going in our lives and we wonder who God is, and he's already made it clear in his scriptures. It's in a relationship with him, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. I love my dad. My dad was, was a unique individual. Um, he raced motorcycles as a kid. He trained trained shepherds. He used to be the canine trainer there in Denver. He, he'd done a lot of different things. And I used to love going out working with my dad on the car. 
I mean, I was always ready, always ready just to hand him, you know, a tool or whatever. And my dad would take the screwdriver and he'd put it on the housing of the motor and he'd turn that, that distributor cap to get the timing just right. And I'd be sitting there always, always ready to help. I wasn't out there because I had to. I was out there because I loved my dad. I just wanted to be around him. And so many times we look like, we look at God like, oh, we got to be out there. Oh, I got to go hold the, the wrench, hand the wrench to God. And I don't really, because we don't understand relationship. Our faith is a relationship. And that's what Micah is teaching here. He's teaching them that there's, this is what the Lord requires. It's to walk in his ways and to love him. In fact, the word require means to seek with care. It gives the idea of a strong seeking or expectation. And what is it? The first thing he says, but to do justice. In a day that we live in, isn't justice important? This word justice here means to do no harm. It literally means to render to each person what is his own. To deal, to deal fairly with people. In other words, even to stand up for the rights of others, which Micah did for the poor. Here we go. Oh, okay. If I had rhythm, I would dance, but I don't have any rhythm. So it's this picture of what's, of what's going on to do justly. How is your dealings with people? What was going on in Israel? The judges were judging based on the bribery. The priests were teaching based on the price. They were dealing unfairly with the people. There was blood on their hands in the way that they dealt with them. How do you deal with others? That's the question. That's the question that he's asking, this idea of, of do we stand up for others? I remember as a young boy, <clears throat> I think of Micah here, uh, Micah standing up for those that, that couldn't stand up for themselves sometimes. And as a young boy, I remember I was with my cousin and we were in Phoenix, Arizona at the time, and we were walking over by the school not far from our house. Uh, we, we were a year apart, and we were pretty close as a cousin of mine. And we're walking along in this, in this look over in the playground, and this boy's beating on this girl. Now, my dad raised me. You do something. You don't just stand there. And I went over to the guy, and I said, hey, stop. And he looked at me, and I don't know if he thought I was bigger than I was, but he took off running. And I asked the girl, are you okay? She said, yeah, and she went the other direction. And so I started on my walking with my cousin, we're talking, and all of a sudden, next thing I know, this car comes up over the curb in front of the sidewalk in front of me, another one came behind me. I looked at my cousin and said, hey, go get my dad, because <laughs> this isn't going good. <laughs> and you know, fortunately, my dad showed up and things kind of went the other way, but man, it wasn't looking good there for a minute. Maybe if I knew that was gonna happen, would I have not said something? We do justly. There's times in our lives, in our mission trips, I think of Greg Buckles when he went to Pakistan last year. I don't know if we realize the impact of that trip on those that he met, and yet at the same time, the danger that he faced. We, go, we do things, we, 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 we have feed the kids that we do. We have a group every month that goes and looks for children that are being, being trafficked. 
it just blows me away the things that we can do and the way that we treat others to do justly. The next thing he says there is to love kindness. The word there, love kindness, is heesh in the Hebrew. It means a a loyal or steadfast love. It stresses the idea of belonging together of those involved in a love relationship. It means not only with others, but with God himself. It's a steadfast, loyal love. They were focused on the external. They were focused on the outward. And they missed the steadfast love. And what God desires is love. Desire love more than sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Sometimes we run around and we start going, man, Where is God? What is God all about? Well, let me tell you. He's about a steadfast, loving relationship. And he's about knowing him. Not just when you need him, but in a daily walk with him. You see, what happens is when you begin to become so concerned about the outward and the external, what happens is the result of that is you become harsh judgmental and self-righteous, just like the leaders at Israel. If they had had that kind of love, they would not have treated others the way they had. And then the last part, he says, and to walk humbly with your God. The emphasis here is on submission, not pride. It's understanding who God is and who I am. It's the idea that, that the offerings did not represent submission. In fact, their offerings represented what they thought God would be happy with. Without ever listening to hear what he had to say, they brought these things. And when God wasn't happy with them, they they didn't understand because they never listened to what he had taught them. That's why the word of God is so important. That's why we must humble ourselves and walk after him. When we come before God on our own terms, our own ways, we're going to miss the truth of God's word. Because it's not his truth, it's our truth at that point. But when we humble ourselves and we walk with our God, you know what the reality is? It really works the other way. It begins, as we humble ourselves, we begin to have a steadfast, loyal love with him and others. We begin to act justly in the way that we treat others and the way that we uh, handle situations and do justice because we walk after him. Oh, poor Parker. She's been having a bad day. <laughs> I only know that because they told me that at the beginning of the day. <laughs> Let's walk after God. Hey, I know you came here this morning and we're excited about the kids. We're excited about VBS and all the things that are going on. But here's a question I have for you. Where are you at in your relationship with God? Are you just walking after him in such a way that, yeah, sometimes you just, you know, you just want God, you want these things from God, but you're missing out on the relationship with God? That's, that's not, that's not, a, that's not, a, that's not a, something I want. Every day is a new day. The, the blessings of God is, is so unreal. I see him in the little things and the way that he works in my life, and you can too if you will humble yourself and walk with your God, to to love him, to be steadfast in your relationship and to do justly, to treat others in a righteous way. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, 
lift up to you today the, your word. I pray, Father, for those that are here this morning. I pray, God, that you would just speak with them, that you would teach them truth, that, Father, each of us would grow in our relationship with you today. That, Father, maybe we've been walking in this way where we're trying to look at things and, and where we're kind of expecting things from you because, well, Lord, I did this and I did that. And to realize we bring nothing. You don't call us to, 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 to fix her. You, you call us simply by faith to trust in the work of your son, Jesus Christ. In the gospel, it gives us life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.